Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him." In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, how we thank you for your Son and our Saviour, this glorious Christ, this saving Christ, this Jesus This God, man, this one from heaven in whom life is found, this one in whom there is redemption, in whom there is the forgiveness of sins, in whom there is a gathering together of all your chosen ones, in whom there is life and light and peace and joy. O God, grant that we may consider him properly this evening, that we might have our faith strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you delight in Jesus Christ? Paul does. That's why when he begins a letter like this to the Ephesians, it's this great firework display of the excellencies of Jesus Christ as God's appointed saviour. Paul delights in Jesus Christ. Paul also delights in the people of Jesus Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And in those opening words, Paul is delightfully dwelling upon the union that Christ's people have with Christ and the blessed fruits of that union. What it means for you or me to belong to this Jesus He joyfully traces the work of grace in their souls. He joyfully looks at the progress of God's kingdom in the world. Now, are we similarly excited? 
Do we look at Christ and find our hearts lifted up? Do we look at one another and rejoice in God because of what he has bestowed upon us and what is represented even in a congregation like this of God's intentions for the glorifying of his name in all the earth? One of the things that particularly delights the Apostle Paul is the trust that they have in Christ Jesus. And that's really where his delight in Christ and his delight in Christ's people meets. He loves, adores, delights in, worships and honours Jesus Christ. And so when he who trusts to him sees others trusting in him and enjoying the fruits of trust in him, Paul's heart is lifted up. And so he says in verse 13... In him you also trusted. We first trusted in Christ, will be to the praise of his glory, and in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, don't imagine then that Paul is doing this the way you might do a stock take in a grocery store. Beans? Yeah, got beans. Bread? Yeah, got bread. Uh, spaghetti hoops? Yeah, got spaghetti hoops. Umbrellas? Yeah, got umbrellas. It's a weird kind of store. It's all in the same place. But yeah, Paul's excited by this stuff. Paul is thrilled. This is not a stock list. This is not a stock check. This is a catalogue of blessings. And he gets here and he says, you believe in my Christ. We have trusted in him. Some of us have gone slightly before. You're now following afterwards. And we together are believing into this Jesus. Now, my friends, it is good and it is right for us to recognise the frailties and the feebleness of our faith. I believe help my unbelief but it's also right to remember that by God's grace we do believe and that Christ as he did with that man this morning leads us on by degrees to greater stronger and clearer faith in him you also trusted I want to see these words as teaching us first of all that Jesus Christ is worthy of your trust Jesus Christ is worthy of your trust. In him you also trusted. In that person, in the God-man, the Christ. He is the one in whom you have trusted. Christ is worthy of your trust with regard to his person. He is Jesus the Christ. Paul is his apostle. God is the God and Father of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has sent his Son into the world. And the Son has come and has taken on your humanity. He became a man like us. And as the God-man, two distinct natures but one person forever, he is God's anointed one. He is your Messiah He is the one who has come to accomplish salvation, not just to make it possible that people should be saved, but truly to save his people. 
That is his name, that is his office, that is his title. He is a prophet for us, he is a priest for us, he is a king for us. Now tell me, can you trust God in the flesh? Not a God, not a man, but the God-man. Is there anybody here this evening who would say, no, I think that God in the flesh is going to deceive me. I think that I can't trust what he says. I think that he is likely to disappoint me. I think he's going to let me down. I think his word will fail. I think his promises will come to nothing. I think his work is ineffective. My friends... We trust Jesus. He is worthy in his person of our trust because of his very natures, his identity. We trust him with regard to his life. We read through the Gospels and we see its perfections and its beauties. Do you love reading the Gospels? I I honestly think I used to be a little bit scared of them. I think actually for a period when I began preaching, I think I was scared of preaching them. I think I thought, I'll never be able to do this justice. Now, I still think that, but if I could put it this way, I enjoy failing. (laughs) I enjoy trying. This is my Jesus. This is where I see God in the flesh. This is where I trace the character of the Most High. This is where I see the divine walking amongst us. This is where I get to know his heart. This is where I feel the tenderness of his gaze. This is where I see the compassion of his hands. And when I see the spotless perfections of his life, when I see a man who never falls short of the glory of God, when I see the words of wisdom that drop from his lips, settings of uh, apples of gold in settings of silver, when I see the, the kindness which he shows, when I see the, uh, the power which he displays, when I begin to begin to understand that here is God revealing God to man, when I watch him weaving a robe of spotless righteousness, the very robe which by God's grace I am wearing because I have trust in Jesus Christ, then I understand that my Jesus is worthy of trust because of his life. Jesus is worthy of your trust because of his death. Because at the end of a life in which he never set a foot wrong, not against God or toward man, that perfect God-man laid down his life as a lamb without spot and without blemish. He made an atoning sacrifice for the sins of your soul. He died to take away your sin. The spotless lamb of God shed his blood, bearing your sins in his body on the tree. Can you trust that? Is there something lacking in the sacrifice of the spotless lamb of God? Was there not enough blood, not enough virtue, insufficient merit for you as a sinner to go to him and find now that his death is going to fail you? That he cannot keep you, he cannot wash you, he cannot cleanse you? 
He's worthy of your trust, this Christ, because of his very being, because of the life that he lived, because of the death that he died, because of the resurrection that he enjoyed. You watch him. There he is, rising in triumph from the grave. Can you not trust a man who has said, after three days I will rise again, and does? Can you not trust someone who is declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead? Can you not trust that in him who is the first fruits there is this powerful pattern for all his people? <clears throat> can you not live and can you not die trusting that this Jesus is able to truly save you? And that though you may die, you shall live. And living, there is a real sense in which you cannot die. Do you think his harvest will fail? Do you think that there's one grain of his corn that will not be gathered in? One shock of his sheaves that's going to be left out in the field? One sheep of his pasture that's not going to be brought into the heavenly fold? In him you also trusted, says Paul to the Ephesians. And he's teaching us that Jesus was worthy of their trust and worthy of ours. For all of these blessings came to them. But if Christ is so worthy of trust because of his very person, because of his very life, because of his death and because of his resurrection, what does it mean if you are not trusting him this morning, this evening? It means that you are sinning against him. Your refusal to trust this Jesus is a gross dishonour to the God-man. It is a rank injustice for a creature to cast doubt upon the saviour of sinners. It is a foul rebellion for you to say in effect, I don't need him and I don't want him. If you think that you could be saved some other way, or that you don't need God's salvation, do you understand what you're saying? In your simple carelessness, you might say, well, it, it's not that I'm against him. I've got nothing against Jesus. My friends, when Jesus Christ is presented to you in the scriptures, even in the way that he is in these opening verses of Ephesians, you do understand that if God himself says, you need a saviour, and I have provided him that you may trust him and so live now and always in union with him. That for you to say, I don't want him, I don't need him, he is nothing to me. I don't care about that person, I have no need of that life, I don't need to rely upon that death and I have no regard for that resurrection. That that is a fearful sin against the most high God. If he is worthy of your trust in the way that we are describing, then it is disobedience, it is rebellion, it is damnable to reject him. Christ is worthy of your trust. And by trusting in Christ, sinners like us are saved. That's the second thing. By trusting this Christ, sinners like me and you are saved. In him, 
you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You love the, the, the personal touch there? The gospel of your salvation. My friends, if you're a Christian, you've been saved by the gospel of your salvation. It holds out redemption for you in this Jesus. The gospel of your salvation. And oh, that it would be yours this evening if you do not yet have it. It is the word of truth with regard to Jesus as the remedy for your soul's deepest needs. Here is the man who takes away sin. Here is the man who takes away death. Here is the man who, rising again from the dead, overcomes hell itself. There is redemption. There is a ransoming from the grave, from the pit, from the curse, as you hear and believe. Paul describes then the way in which the Spirit carries this divine truth into the soul. There is light and there is life when we believe in this Jesus. Yes, he's worthy of your trust. But in trusting in him and coming into union with him as he is presented to you in the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, you enter into that salvation. That's what trust is. Faith unites a sinner to Jesus Christ and all the fruits of his life and all the mercies that are bound up in his death and all the glories that are connected with his resurrection and all the excellencies that are found in his person, they become yours when you lay hold upon this Jesus. He is the one who secures all the blessings of salvation to everyone who trusts in him. That's why when Paul is going through this glorious catalogue, he keeps putting Christ before you. In Christ, in him, in Christ, in him, in him, in him. Why? Because Paul doesn't say, come and get redemption. Paul doesn't say, come and get the forgiveness of sins. Paul doesn't say, uh, come and get the, the revelation of God's mystery. Paul doesn't say, come and get gathered together. Paul doesn't say, come and get an inheritance. Paul doesn't say, come and get sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, come to Jesus Christ. In him, all these things are found. It is Christ in whom salvation is found. Salvation is not just the, the aggregate or the, the compendium of a series of blessings. Salvation is the Lord Jesus. And in him all salvation belongs. There are no other options. There are no other alternatives. There is, it should be noted, no picking and choosing. That I want this bit of salvation, but not this. I, I quite like the forgiveness of my sins, but I'd rather not be freed from the power of them just yet. As Augustine is reputed once to have prayed, Lord, deliver me from my sins, but not yet. Get rid of my lusts, but not yet. I'm enjoying this too much. No, Christ is all in all to us. And all that salvation comes to us in our all in all. Sin is removed when you trust in Jesus. Righteousness is bestowed when you trust in Jesus. Hope is assured when you trust in Jesus. When you come to the person, you get the fruits of his life, the benefits of his death, and the assurances of his resurrection. 
then we should note that trust in Christ is a lively and substantial grace. That means it's not a dead and flat thing and that it's got a bit of meat to it. It's got a bit of substance. It does something. Now, in itself, it is quite simple and it is quite pure. It involves the entire receiving of and resting upon Jesus Christ alone as he is presented to us in the gospel. Sometimes people say, well, what, what, what is faith? What does it feel like? Well, sometimes it doesn't feel like anything. <laughs> it just takes Jesus as he is. All of Christ for all I am. A whole Christ, holy for my whole life. It's, it's, a, it's a casting myself upon him. It is an embrace of him. But that faith which is itself God's gift reaches out with the empty hand and, and simply takes Christ as I find him on the pages of my Bible and says, like Thomas, my Lord and my God. But it takes Christ without any half measures. It takes Christ with no holding back. It adds nothing to Christ. It mixes nothing with Christ. It's substantial. And it's living and lively. We already said, as we looked at some of these questions in the, the catechism in the Sunday school class, you know, faith that is a saving grace and repentance that is a saving grace. And we're not the people who believed. We're not the people who repented. We're the people who are believing. We're the people who are repenting. You see, the faith that saves is not a spasm. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not a, a temporary interest. It's, it's not a hobby. It's not something you can mix in and out of your life when you feel like it. Little dose of religion, little trip to church now and again. My friends, it's a full-on commitment. It's the I am his and he is mine language of a soul that has entrusted itself entirely to Jesus Christ. And that therefore goes on following him all the way in all things. That's one of the things that's thrilling the apostle about these Ephesian believers. Trust teaches us to start following Jesus. Trust teaches us to go on following Jesus. And trust carries us to finish in Jesus Christ. And that is Christianity. If you only want Christ for a few things here and there. If Christ is a helpful add-on because sometimes life gets a bit tough. If you'll take some of what he offers but reject some of what he demands. If you are quite happy with the notion of Jesus saving you but not entirely comfortable with the idea that Jesus is ruling you if you think that there's some part of your life that faith doesn't touch or doesn't need to touch, if there's some aspect of your being that can be held back from the effects of union with Jesus Christ, then that's not Christianity. 
And that's why I'm grieved or why I'm distressed when someone might come and, and say, well, yeah, I think I'm a Christian. What, what is a church entitled to do under those circumstances? Oh, we say, oh, that's, that's wonderful. Now, show me your faith by your works. Sometimes you're out in the street. Oh, I, I'm a Christian. Are you? Wonderful. When did you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ? In what ways have you united yourself to the body of Jesus Christ? To what church have you attached yourself? Who are the people that you love to be with? What do you do on the Lord's day, morning and evening? Do you gather to pray with the saints of God? Which sins have you been putting to death? Which virtues have you been cultivating? What transformation has taken place in your life? What fresh energies from heaven have animated your soul so that things that you used to care nothing for have now become your joy and things that you used to rejoice in are now vile and empty to you? Tell me about the transformation. Tell me about the being taken up with Jesus Christ. Tell me about the joy that you have in him. Tell me about the thrill of trusting in Jesus Christ. Eh? Well, my friends... Isn't that Christianity? I'm not saying we're always riding on the high hills. But we're always trusting in Jesus. Faith is always lively. Always substantial. Even when it's crying out, help my unbelief. The church is the community of the faithful. It's the people who belong to this Jesus and are taken up with him. And the church is entirely entitled to expect and to exhort to the fruits of faith. A professing Christian whose life is empty, lazy, casual and half-hearted is no Christian at all. We show our faith by our works and so we are to the praise of his glory. Do you love that language? That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory and in him you also trusted. It's not even what you do to the praise of his glory. It's not what you try to the praise of his glory. It's not what you accomplish, not what you attain. That you should be. That your very existence and everything that works out from it should simply be for the praise of the glory of the God who sent Christ to save you. Trust, then, is a lively and substantial grace. And so, the fourth thing to learn is that every true Christian trusts in Christ in the way that's described here finds him as worthy of all our trust, finds that in trusting him we are indeed made possessors of the salvation which is found in the Saviour. And so work out this lively and substantial grace of trust in Christ Jesus. You can go back to verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, God might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. 
Do you enjoy the comprehensive language of Ephesians chapter 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not mine, not yours, not mine apart from you or you apart from me. No different ranks or degrees. Yes, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, says Paul. But God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The apostles trusted in Jesus Christ. They're apostles by the grace of God, but first of all, they're Christians by the grace of God, brought from darkness into light, brought to see and know And then to be witnesses of this Jesus, to speak to us as Paul is here, of his person, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. What is the first mark of an apostle? Trust in Christ. Why? Because before they're anything else, they're Christians. They were Jewish believers. Maybe those are the ones to whom Paul is referring when he says that we who first trusted in Christ... How was Simeon saved? What about Anna? Joseph? Mary? The crowds who came to Jesus and trusted in him? What sets them apart from others in their nation? They trusted in Jesus Christ. When they saw him, when they heard him, when he was proclaimed to them, when he made himself known, when he preached to them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Whether they were waiting for the consolation, whether they saw the Messiah come in the humility of his saving work, they first trusted in Jesus. And so they became Christians. The first Gentile converts, what are they? They're trusting in Jesus Christ. The gospel begins to spread. There are already glimpses of it, flashes of it, promises about it in the gospels. There are people who are from outside Israel. There are Greeks who come toward the end of John's gospel that we want to see Jesus. And then you're to preach. Yes, you begin here in Jerusalem. But then you preach in Judea, you preach in Samaria, you preach to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Do the Ephesians count as first? Do they come later? In him, you also. You Ephesians, what brings you into this happy band? What unites you to those who enjoy this glorious salvation and all its benefits? You've trusted in him. You've seen him. He's been preached to you. He was declared to you. Like the Thessalonians, you turned to God from idols You Ephesians who are so taken up with your pagan practices and your occult pursuits. Diana fell when Christ was exalted. Ephesus was transformed 
when Jesus was preached. Why? Because God was present by his spirit and you also trusted. And in trusting, we didn't say, oh, well, well done, but I'm sorry, you're too late to get into the first rank. You're always going to be dragging your heels in the dust behind. No, Paul can write to these Ephesians who once had been dead in their trespasses and sins, who once had been children of wrath just as the others, who had been subject to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, who had once also conducted themselves in the lusts of their flesh. Paul says, you're children of God. Paul says, you've got the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That inheritance... It's your inheritance. That gift of the Holy Spirit, that sealing with the Spirit, marking you out as God's, that's your blessing. You have the guarantee of the inheritance too until the redemption of the purchased possession. Are we to the praise of his glory? So too will your entering into that glory be. And this church... You're sitting here this evening as a Christian. What makes you such? Who makes you to differ? Are you here because you're better than somebody else here? If you're honest with yourself, you'd say, I'm far worse. If you knew my heart, I don't belong by nature in this kingdom. By instinct and by deed, I should be in hell this very moment. I'm no better than a single person who walks up and down outside this building. I'm no better in myself than the person who slams the door in our face when we speak the gospel. I'm no better than the most outwardly moral or the most obviously vile of the people who live around us. It's not because I figured something out. It's not because I started doing better. It's not because I sorted out my life. It's not because I started going to the right church. It's not because I got baptised. It's not because I was born in a Christian family. It's because I've trusted Jesus. And even that is the purchase of his blood. I never would have come and never could have come were it not for the Spirit of God at work in me. It's no different for us. If you're a Christian here this evening, the only thing that sets you apart is the fact that Christ has been united to you. Faith granted to you. And you're here tonight trusting in him. And it's not apostles Jewish believers, first Gentiles, second Gentiles, and somewhere down in the conference league over here, there's the people who once believed in him in Crawley. Everything that is in Christ, my friends, is ours. And the weakest faith in this Christ brings you into possession of all that is found in him. You may still cry out at times, Lord, help my unbelief. But if you can say this evening, Lord, I believe, then you are a Christian. What about you then?
What about every one of you here this evening? Is what you have heard tonight the gospel of your salvation? This Christ, in the beauties of his person, in the excellencies of his life, in the wonder of his death, and in the glory of his resurrection, have you also trusted? Have you put yourself in his hands? He is held out to you tonight. And all that is needful is that you should receive and rest upon him alone. And you will be saved because of him. He is worthy of your confidence. He is able to save sinners like us. You cast yourself on the Saviour. You come to the God-man. You take him as he is. And all that he is, and all that he does, is yours in this moment and forever. In him, you also trusted. May God bless us with a sense of what that means if we have done so. May God in his mercy bring all who have yet to do so to say those things for themselves.